You can all be seated. Go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 5. We're going to be again in chapter 5, verse 18. It says 19 on the screen. We're going to start reading in verse 18. And I'm just curious, how many of you here like a good courtroom drama? Don't you like just watching a good one? I, I really do. And maybe, it, I, I don't know how, I, I like watching the show Bull that's on right now. I'm struck. I like that show. It's intriguing to me. A character who psychologizes a jury and knows kind of how to mix that jury. And it's, it's a very interesting storyline to me. And I look back and I wonder when it started that I ha- found such an interest in these kind of courtroom shows. Maybe it was back when I first was introduced to the 1957 black and white classic movie, 12 Angry Men, in which you got to see a whole movie about the deliberation of those men in that room. Maybe that was it, or or I guess it could have been growing up. I don't know when it happened, but along the way, I wasn't informed. I didn't read an article about it, but Andy Griffith decided to change careers. He gave up his sheriff's office and became a lawyer. I don't know when it happened. But I watched him as a kid growing up on the show Matlock, and somehow, every episode, he would face one who was completely doomed. I mean, no chance. And, and somehow, Andy Griffith would do what he needed to do and declare the guy to be innocent, and he'd be innocent. It was just a great show, and I, I grew up watching that. And, and I know that this is something maybe you're intrigued by. I, I, I see how many people buy those John Grisham books. Maybe you've got the latest one right now, but a good courtroom drama is always something that is found intriguing, and when you come to John chapter 5, and you read the text we're going to look at today, I really think the courtroom motif is a helpful way to us to bring together the complexity of the latter part of chapter 5, and how to bring it all together in a way that we can really understand it correctly and rightly. The lawyer in the text is the one who's doing all the speaking, Just about every word in this text is spoken by Jesus himself as he has taken a defense as to who he really is. And you read about it as we continue on down through the list, through the chapter, there's Jesus discussing a defense of his identity. You find Jesus talking about the different witnesses that verify the truth that he has proclaimed and then the consequences of what happens if you reject that which is which Jesus is explaining to be true. It's a fascinating text. And to help you understand where it all starts, remember where we were last week? Chapter 5 begins with Jesus going into Jerusalem because he's got a mission. There's a person there who has been inflicted with a 38-year illness as an invalid. He's not been able to walk for that length of time. He constantly goes to a pool at Bethesda there in Jerusalem hoping that someone could let him be the first to get to the water when it was believed an angel would stir that water so that he could be healed. A man of great desperation, and Jesus sees him. And even though the man doesn't deserve it at all, Jesus declares that he's healed, and immediately he's able to walk. And as the text continues, the Jews that are around that see the man walking on the Sabbath with his bed are more concerned about whether or not he's breaking one of the particulars of the rules than the fascinating truth that God has done something miraculous. And in all that, you just see this mounting dissension between Jesus and these Jews. 
And what we're going to see as you open up to verse 18 that I'm about to read is that the dissension, their desire to want to bring correction, has now moved into an all-out plot to kill Jesus. And we know that as John continues, it's going to end in him going to a cross. But read it with me in verse 18, and we're going to read the opening several verses. We're going to go through verse 29. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What a text. Let me remind you why John has given us this entire gospel account. Everything that is written here has been written so that, he says in chapter 20, verse 31, we might believe. That Jesus is the Son of God, for by believing you will have life in his name. That's the reason for everything that he writes in this wonderful, glorious gospel. And now we come to this text. One of the things that must be abundantly true for us, according to what we read here, is a verse that I, I want you to remember. It's chapter 5, verse 23. All have to honor the Son. And you must honor the Son if you're going to honor the Father. That there is no way to honor God if you do not honor the Son. So today we're going to look at what Jesus is teaching us about what it means to be right with Him. Because to be right with Him means to be right with God. And if there's any separation of those, if we're not right with Him, if we do not understand Him, then there is absolutely no way we can be right with God. There's no way to eternal life. Everything comes through our relationship with the Son. So we're going to look at that today. And as Jesus explains who He is as He gives this defense this is what I want you to consider as we think about the latter half of the chapter that we're in, chapter 5. It all comes together with this. Jesus alone possesses verified authority as the Son of God who is equal with God. There is something that he has said that has sent the Jews into a really, 
really rough place. It's why they have gone from just being in a disagreement with him to wanting to kill him. They have listened rightly to what Jesus has said, and they understand what he means. If what Jesus has said is true, they've understood it correctly, he is putting himself in a position that is equal, equal with God. And you do not see Jesus in this explanation back away from this. You don't hear him say, well, just wait a second, I'm scared of a charge of blasphemy. That's not what he says. Do you see what he says? As it starts doing, he, he, he begins to give a case that takes that truth and makes it even more abundantly true. He starts in verses 19 through 21 by explaining in his relationship with the Father that Jesus and the Father share in the same essence. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Whatever the Father does, the Son does. They've always been together. They have always done the same thing from the past in the present, and they will always do the same thing in the future. All of this points us to the fact that Jesus and the Father, they do share in the same essence, which means they share in the same being of the same nature with one another. If you're trying to understand the Trinity and the Godhead, which Adam is so richly explaining in our class of the Holy Spirit, you need to understand there is but one God, but it's wrong for us to think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as three separate distinct parts of the same pie, as if they're cut up. If you were to get out a Kenny's pie and divide it evenly between three, that's not the way you think about the Godhead. I love the way that Wayne Grudem explains the essence of Jesus and the essence of the Father. The being of each person of the Godhead is equal to the whole being of God. So Jesus is fully God, just as the Father is fully God. And they've always been this way. If you think about Jesus, and you understand that he is the only begotten of the Father, another way to understand that is that Jesus is eternally begotten. He is the eternal begotten of the Son, which means that for eternity, all the way into eternity past, he has always existed and been in relationship with the Heavenly Father as the Son. So Jesus and the Father have always existed together in this relationship, and they have always worked together. So whatever the Father does, the Son also does. And do you understand what that truly means? That when you think about the Father in Genesis 1 creating the world, Jesus has always done what the Father does. So Jesus also creates the world. When you think about the Father upholding the universe, Jesus upholds the universe. When you think about God judging the world with a flood in the book of Genesis and rescuing Noah and his family, Jesus is judging the world just as the Father judges the world. Every time Jesus performs a miracle, the Father performs a miracle. And they have always existed in this relationship 
of being one in each other. There is no distance between their wills. The Father does, the Son does as the Father does. If this were not true, they would be two distinct gods, but they're not. They've always existed together. The text says that the Father loves the Son. They've always been together in a state of perfect and unbreakable intimacy and love with one another. So when it says this, this is something that has to be true if Jesus is the eternal begotten of the Father. It has to be true of him that these things are true because they've always worked together this way and that means that there is absolutely nothing Known by the Father that is not also known by the Son. All of this stuff works together. There are no secrets between the Father and the Son. They share these things in such beautiful relationship with one another. So as you think about the relationship that the Father and the Son share together, just think about this. Though I think it breaks down. It's not a perfect illustration. I think it's helpful, A.W. Pink uses it, and I'll share it with you, that if you think about the relationship that you might share with someone who visits your house, if it's someone that you might not know all that well, but is but a mere acquaintance, you might welcome them into the living room, but there might be places in your house that you don't want them to go. But if it's a true friend of complete intimate connection, you turn over the keys of your house you don't mind them going anywhere because you trust them so fully and richly and perfectly. And that's the relationship that the Father and the Son share with each other. And as you think about this, do you now understand how magnificent of a statement this is? And this is why. This Son who knows the Father and is of the same essence of the Father is standing there speaking to these to whom he is talking. The one who possesses all the authority, all the power of the universe is speaking to these men and giving a defense of who he is talking to them. That is an amazing thought. And then you couple that thought with the unbelievable hubris of these who believe in the presence of the God of the universe who is Christ that they know better than he does. And that's what we find as we open up this text, but it reveals to us so much of the authority of Jesus that he and the Father, they say, share in the same essence. It's beautiful, but not only do they share in the same essence of being, we also learn from this text that they share in the same command. I want you to notice as we continue to read this, text begin together. Read in verse 22. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So as the Father judges, the Son also judges, that he may honor the Son just as he honors the Father. So the Son is given authority, is, it has the authority of judgment in this text, as Jesus is given the authority of judgment. And then look at what it says in verse 24. I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So that Jesus also has the authority over life. So Jesus has the authority over judgment. 
Jesus has the authority over life. The same way that God the Father breathed life into Adam, Jesus is given the authority to give life to whom he chooses. This is an amazing truth about the authority of Christ. And boys, I read this. I'm trying to really get my arms around this well. Maybe, maybe this will help you. Let's, let's picture yet again that we're in a house. There's three of us. And I'm over visiting at your house. So I'm over hanging out with Lynn and Harry. And I look up on the wall and Allie is with me. And I'm admiring a beautiful piece of art that they've got up on their wall. I, I really like that piece of art. It's beautiful. So I look at that. And Harry and Lynn, I said, I really like that. And without even asking permission, I go to that piece of art, and I take it off the wall and decide that I'm going to gift it to Allie, and we're going to go home with it. What if I were to do that? I think Harry and Lynn might change their opinion of me. But then let's say in the same scenario, they come over to my house. And I've got a piece of art on my wall. And Harry and Lynn are admiring that piece of art. And they said, boy, we sure do like that. That is beautiful. I can't imagine what something like that would look like over the mantle of my home. And so I look at them. I look over at Allie. She agrees. And I take it off of my wall. And I take that which is on my wall and I gift it to them. And then the whole opinion of me changes, right? In that scenario, you're thinking, man, what a pastor. He loves us so much. Look at how he's giving them something that's precious to him. The other scenario, you're like, that is not yours to give. What are you thinking? I want you to understand what we learn about Christ is when it comes to judgment, when it comes to life, those are Jesus's to give out as he so chooses. He is the one who has judgment over all. He is the one who has life to give over all. In everything about life and judgment, they all come to us through Christ. And that's what we learn in this text. So we should not marvel, as the Bible says, that when there are many in their tombs, and Jesus speaks a word, and they rise up out of their tombs, that for some, they're going to be resurrected unto judgment. For others, they'll be resurrected unto life, because it is Jesus's to give judgment and to give life. And this is what Jesus is declaring is true of himself. He and the Father share of the same essence. He and the Father share of the same authority. They share of the same command. And because they share of the same command, it now makes a lot of sense what it tells us in verses 22 and 23. If you want to honor the Father, if you want to be right with God the Father, you have to give honor to the Son. And that means lordship. It doesn't mean respect. That doesn't mean that you accept him along with others. We live in a pluralistic culture and society, which basically, if you want to know what pluralism means, it's this. That there are allowed in our culture competing places of authority that we are allowed to exist together. But that is not biblical Christianity. Authority is found in only one place, and it's from relationship with God, and that is also found in us understanding that we are to honor the Son. If you honor the Son, you honor the Father. There's no way to be right with God without honoring 
the Son. So we learn from this text that Jesus is one with the Father. They share of the same essence. They also share of the same command. They share of the same authority. But then as we continue to read, Jesus has made his defense for the authority that he possesses, and now it moves into the realm to validating that by talking about the witnesses that also attest to these truths. And that's what the latter half of this text shares with us, beginning in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own, says Jesus. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own, but the will of him who sent me. As the Father's will and Jesus' will are completely in sync with one another, anything that Jesus judges, the Father judges in complete step with whatever Jesus determines. There's never any separation between the two. And then he says this, if I bear... If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true, so here's some others to bear witness about me. There is another who bears witness about me. And the one that he's referring to in verse 32 is the witness of the Father himself, the one that he has known from eternity past, the one of whose essence he shares. The Father's testimony is that Christ is the Son. This is my Son, says the Lord. When Jesus was baptized, in whom I am well pleased. So the testimony of the Father is that Christ is the eternally begotten Son. But then we continue, and there's other witnesses here. Verse 33, the witness of John the Baptist, the one who was like a lamp. John the Baptist was a significant person of his day. The precursor, the one that came before Christ to get people ready for his coming and for his ministry. And you read about him, you learn about him, a great man. Jesus said there's not been anyone born of woman greater than John the Baptist. But he is compared to a lamp. Now here's what you need to remember about a lamp when you read this text. A lamp is never a destination unless you're going to buy one at Home Depot, right? A lamp is always a guide. It's always something to illuminate your path, to get you to where you need to go. And so was the work of John the Baptist on this earth, readying people for the fullness of Christ who is coming, pointing the way to him. And the testimony of John the Baptist was what in John chapter 1? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. We continue to read through this text, verse 36. Another great witness were the works that Jesus did. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John because the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. No one can do what Jesus did in transforming water into wine. No one can look at a man Nicodemus and give him new birth except for Christ. No one can do what Jesus does in John chapter 4 and tell a woman at the well everything about her and show her that she no longer has to satisfy her soul temporarily at a well that will cause her to get even more thirsty, but he will offer her a well of living water that wells up to eternal life so she'll never have to thirst again. No one can look at a man like Jesus did who has 
had a, his official who had a son 20 miles away in Capernaum and tell him his son is healed. But Jesus can. He can go into Jerusalem. He can find an invalid who for 38 years has been unable to walk. Speak the word and he walks. All of these were works that were signs that pointed to a deeper spiritual truth that you have to see with the eyes of faith. Only Jesus can do these things. And the works bear witness to Christ and that he is the eternal begotten of the Father. And then you continue to read. It's the witness of Scripture. This had to infuriate his audience. They knew their Old Testament better than anyone else. They just missed the fact that everything was about Jesus. Verse 37, the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard. He has spoken with clarity in the Scripture. His form you've never seen. You don't have his word abiding in you. You know it. But it's never changed you because you don't understand it. And as evidence of that, you don't even believe in the one that the Father has sent. You've searched the Scripture. You've investigated it, but you've missed it. You've thought that they give you eternal life, and you'll find eternal life in it, but that is true when you understand that everything in the Scripture bear witness about me. And yet, here you are trying to kill me. Here you are thinking you know better I'm the one who's always existed. I'm the one who's showing you the love and the care of the Father, and you're rejecting my message. The witness of Scripture is that everything written in the Old Testament points us to Christ. They didn't see it. But that is the witness of the Scriptures. It's even the witness of Moses. Do you see what it says? In verse 45, do you do not think that I will accuse you to the Father? One will accuse you. It's going to be Moses. Think you're following after him, abiding by everything that he's given you in his law, but you've missed it entirely. Because everything about what Moses wrote was about me. Moses wrote of me. So the witness of Moses is that Christ is the Son. All of these show us that Jesus and the Father, they share the same essence, they share the same command and authority, and they shared the same truth. And there are consequences of rejecting Christ. Because they refused to accept him, the scripture says in verse 39, you search the scripture, but you can't understand the Bible. You can't understand what they say. Because you've never received me, there's no love of God in you. You can't love God. And there's no way if you reject me that you can avoid judgment. Because Moses will judge. If you do not believe in his writings, how are you ever going to believe my words? These are the consequences of rejecting Christ. So where are you? Have you ever realized the significance of Jesus I love this recent, I, 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 I kind of like it, that this recent ad campaign that Jesus, he gets us. My only concern is that we won't ever understand until we understand 
that we get Him. And we understand the fullness of who He is. Not this human, frail version of Christ of which we can relate, but the glorious splendor of who Christ is, the One who is of the same essence of the Father. That's who Christ is. And if we understand that Jesus has the same authority as the Father, we don't like authority. We want to live our own way. That's what Romans 1 says. There's something in us that pulls back from that. Because we want to be the king on the throne. But when we understand the essence of Jesus, when we understand the authority of Christ, we understand the truth that everything that I've talked about is abundantly true. It's, it's, that's, this is what's real. Everything changes. So have you ever fully understood the godness that Jesus possesses? Because when you get Jesus' godness, his goodness then follows You're not going to be like these who can't hear his voice. You'll hear the Father's voice. You won't be like those who are dead. Or those who, when Jesus speaks and you're raised out of the tomb, you're raised to, resurrected to judgment. Instead, you're raised to life. You'll receive not Moses' judgment, but you'll receive his affirmation. You understood what I was writing. Is everything that I wrote about was pointing to Jesus. I was writing about him. This is who Jesus is. And if you'll believe him, it changes everything. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. So thankful for this text. If you're here today and you have never come to the place that you have determined and understood that Jesus is Lord, I pray that the Spirit has opened up your heart, that He has awakened you and given you life, that today you understand that Christ is your only hope of salvation. You will die in your sin, be separated from Him forever. You can't just respect Him, you must honor Him in full. Have you ever come to the place in your life that you've trusted in Christ? For all the rest of us too. Maybe we're spending too much time Numbing ourselves with so much distraction that we fail to give regular worship to Him. Understand the greatness of who He is in His essence, in His authority, in His truthfulness. It's beautiful. And to live each day in light of these truths, that's what grows us becoming more and more like him maybe there's an area in your life that you know you've got to repent of it started when we took the Lord's Supper and even hearing of the fullness of who Jesus is you feel the weight of who you are and what you just want to be more more like him the Spirit's doing that in your heart right now don't resist that pay attention to it Right now, repent. Find someone that you love and confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive you of it, to cleanse you of your unrighteousness. 
that you can walk in a way that brings glory and honor to him. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your truth. We thank you for the fullness of who Jesus is. Pray that today your word changes us. Father, thank you so much for it. In Christ's name we pray.